Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we bring you a wild and woolly worst of battle, as I will be representing the worst of February 1982 alongside the other duelers in the decades they will be fighting for. First off, trucking back to the 70s, welcome back to the show, the professor, Drew Zachman. What's up, everybody? I have the worst of February 1975, and, uh, I don't think I'm going to let anybody down with these picks. <laughs> also joining us on the panel and representing the 90s, say hello to the host of the Hysteria 51 podcast, Mr. Brent Hand. Uh, hello, and yes, I have February of 1993. What a, what a, a hopefully crappy year, I guess, <laughs> or, or, or month, we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's sad I, I remembered it all, so I had that going for me. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's guest judge will be very familiar to our listeners of this show, as he is a fan favorite and the resident expert on video games and video rentals. All rise and welcome Judge Mike Ranger. Hello, hello everybody. And uh, this time I am not on drugs. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good start. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we will go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show, listen, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right down to Mike Ranger for the coin toss. All right, and tonight we're going to flip the uh, VHS copy of Think Big, starring the uh, Barbarian <laughs> Brothers. <laughs> Oscar snub of the year right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So uh, prepare, uh, grab your chicken bones. Let's flip this thing. All right, Drew Zachman, you call it in the air. Uh, I will I will take, what's all, what's what's on the cover there, Mike? Well, you've got the uh, the Paul brothers uh, in their uh, totally impractical uh, t uh, shirts, and uh, they're standing next to a giant truck. You know what? That's the side I want. Yeah, that's the one that's most appealing. The back <laughs> just has some text. Ah, uh, yeah, give me that front. All right, one, two, three. And it's tails. Ah. Oh. All right, Brent Hand, you won the coin toss, and you get to select our first category. Uh, all right, let's go with, hmm, let's do news first. No, no, music. Why am I saying news? Music, music. February 7th, 
This one is a big one in the music industry. The self-titled debut album by the actress, rapper, model, and media personality formerly known as Tara Lee Patrick. Uh, This was her debut album, produced, written, and a lot of the music performed by none other than Prince himself. This dark day in music history was the debut album for Carmen Electra's self-titled album, Carmen Electra, with such amazing songs as uh, Fantasia Erotica, Go On With Your Bad Self, and Step to the Mic, which people have described as an abomination and um it was her well it was her debut album and her only album so i guess <laughs> they were smart enough to drop her and her and prince parted ways right after that so we got tom waits you know chucking it to the uh, the man the man at frito lay and carmen electra shitting on music forever <laughs> all right drew zackman what did you bring for the music round All right, so on the 16th of February, 1975, we were given the 10th studio album by T-Rex. I don't know about you guys, but uh, this album's called Bolin's Zip Gun. Uh, I am not a T-Rex fan. Uh, I might get a little flack for this one, but I I think their music is ass. I am not a fan. I don't do cocaine, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, I will say I'm impressed that Mark Boland, who sadly died at the age of 29, put out that many albums in such a short time. But this one, I actually gave it a listen to the other day, and I was not at all impressed by this. And also, I mean, it got bad reviews, too, by some critics. Uh, Whitney Strub of Pop Matters wrote, Boland's Zip Gun contains just enough moments to pre- preclude classification as a disaster, but just barely. Uh, like I said, I just tried listening to it. It, it, it was rough. I, I did not like it at all. Uh, there's a song on there called Zip Gun Boogie. And the album's called Bolin's Zip Gun. I mean, I, that's just fucking stupid. Anyway, I have Bolin's Zip Gun for the worst of February 1975 for music. All right, guys. My music selection is a song I actually really like. And as uh, Drew Zachman would agree on his show, Songs Gone Wrong, this song is actually a bona fide hit. And on February 1982... That was the month that this song had the most plays on the radio. Because on February 6, 1982, this song actually started its six-week reign atop the Billboard Hot 100. I give you Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. Uh, but, but wait, Mark, this is a worst of episode, right? Well, this song is the worst for three reasons. <laughs> One, the subject matter. Okay, guys, picture this. Your school crush or girlfriend... Well, the song never really clarifies which. Who you thought was innocent and pure, you find out years later is a centifold in Playboy magazine. Oh, what could have been, you know? (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) the second reason is the song includes a false finish, and nobody likes that. At the 2 minute and 45 second mark, the up-tempo song neatly wraps up. But after a four-second count, the song kicks back in for another (laughs) almost full minute. So the third reason is, well, that remaining 52 seconds of the song. And what can only be described as as a childhood playground taunt, and for weeks after, in your head, you will have na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-
All right, let's throw it right over to Mike Ranger for the ruling on the music round. Well, first off, gentlemen, let me say that uh, you all uh, had some very uh, compelling arguments. So I guess if I if I could uh, disqualify one right off the bat, I'm going to go, uh, Drew, I'm going to have to to skip this one because not only have I not heard it, it just, uh, I mean, you, you didn't even like it. So, uh, <laughs> but, and then moving on to Mark. Now I, I really liked how you had, uh, some supporting arguments there. Uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I was intrigued. I, I, I liked, uh, uh, your, your passion and you really did point out some examples on why this song is actually truly awful, but I think nothing here, could possibly be worse than Carmen Electra recording anything. <laughs> Agreed. You know what's funny is I was I was looking for some reviews and I'd went to uh, Amazon and someone's like, "This is worth buying," but just throw the disc away. The pictures are great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say Tara Patrick was involved in that? No, her name, her original name, was. Tara Lee Patrick. Gotcha, gotcha. Before she became the protege of Prince. Okay. Carmen Electra. Wow. Good thing she changed her name because she wouldn't want the uh, reputation of the other Tara Patrick. Oh wait, or or is it the other way around? Yeah, that's a that's another coin toss right there. Yeah. Do we have any more Barbarian Brother move- <laughs> movies? Well, wasn't Tara Patrick married to um I forget his name, but the dude from Biohazard? Oh, Evan Seinfeld. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like the singer and bass player or something like that. Yeah, they did some fine feature films together. Now, if you have Carmen Electra fronting Biohazard, maybe. That could be something. Could be. Probably not, but I would give it a shot. All right, Brent Hand, you pick up the first point of this game, but more importantly, you take control of the board. What category are we going with next? Uh, Let's go to Hot Products. And I have uh, February 13th of 1993 this is such a dated everything i'm going to tell you is dated it, it, it's so funny to me the hot product of that week of that month was the issue of tv guide it sold out everywhere because none other than billy ray cyrus Oof. graced the cover of it and women everywhere were swooning over him at this time remember when like that was a fucking thing <laughs> and they sold out and I looked, you can still buy this on eBay and it's like 13, 15 bucks for this February 13th issue of TV guide with him looking dumb. Like he's just in a red shirt. He's not smiling. It looks like he just smelled a fart. It's, it's interesting. And it blows my mind because we don't need TV guide anymore. I guess Billy Ray Cyrus is still around because of his daughter, <laughs> but it's just such a dated thing. All the whole thing. Which is the dated portion? Is it the uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, the TV God, or the women swooning? <laughs> was that so? Was he on there because of um, the, the achy breaky heart, or was wasn't he on a TV show too? He was like a doctor or something like that. That was like mid nineties ish, I thought. Oh, he did play. He was on a TV show. This would have been. I'm trying to read. I actually saved the. Well, let me look it up because real quick I can. Iggy Breaky Heart, I usually have that come on right before the uh, self-titled debut album of Rage Against the Machine. 
that you, I usually like to play them back to back. Oh, here it is. And so he has a, uh, they have a quote from him. It says, I live on the edge and I know you eventually fall off it. And then it says the achy breaky man in this week's ABC special and next week's Grammy. So he's an ABC uh, okay. special. I like to think that it was an after school special, but I don't know. Like, don't talk to the man with that haircut or something like that. You know, they should show you after school. But yeah. <laughs> Better ways to raise your daughters. <laughs> Fun with power tools and, 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 and wrecking balls. All right, Drew Zachman, what did you bring for the hot products round? All right, now, if you guys recall a classic 90s flick, Wayne's World, there is a scene in there that everybody remembers. And that scene is when they're all, when they're all in the car singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, that car was a 1976 AMC Pacer. Now, the original AMC Pacer was unleashed upon the world on February 28th, 1975. And the AMC Pacer was in production from 1975 until 1979. So uh, not a great run there. And the car, the car basically, I don't know if you guys remember the movie uh, or if you just know what an AMC Pacer looks like in general. The car is basically, a, it's a, a, a fucking fishbowl on wheels, pretty much. Or it kind of looks like a jelly bean, whichever way you want to go. But apparently uh, the body surface was 37% glass. So that's a lot of glass. <laughs> uh, it was dubbed. The the marketing for this was also just ass. Uh, it said it was dubbed the first wide small car. Okay, uh, but even though it was a two door coupe, the car weighed three thousand pounds, or just over thirteen hundred kilograms for our international listeners out there. And due to that heavy weight, the car wasn't exactly fuel friendly, as it only had sixteen miles per gallon in the city. However, it did pull in about twenty six miles per gallon on the highway. And also, a marketing phrase used by AMC states you only ride like a pacer if you're wide like a pacer so <laughs> i got that going for me yeah that was the thing <laughs> that they said and it's in print uh so anyway but yeah the unconventional styling of this car and a lack of fuel economy during the 79 energy crisis is kind of what ultimately did this car in plus it looks like a damn fishbowl um so that's what i give all of you the 1975 amc pacer all right, guys, for my Hot Products pick, you know, what happens when you take a renowned artist and director from iconic franchises like Muppet Babies, the new Fred and Barney show, the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley, and Camp Candy, and then you team them up with the same man who co-created Wolverine, Vision, Luke Cage, and Ghost Rider? Well, you get an absurd comic that made its debut February 1982 as a 16-page special insert in The New Teen Titans, number 16. I present to you a series that, well, nobody asked for, and it only got a mere 20 issues. Give you Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. <laughs> when comic creator Scott Shaw and Roy Thomas first pitched their idea to DC Comics as a funny animal concept called Super Squirrel and the Just Lotta Animals which starred cartoon versions of all your favorite DC superheroes, like Super Squirrel, Wonder Rabbit, The Bat Moose, Green Lambkin, Hawk Moose, and The Elongator. But DC kind of saw licensing problems with this because they'd have two rival studios with different properties of the same character. You know, one studio wouldn't want to own the serious version of a character, and then the rival studio has leashed out the 
not so serious animal version mm. of like Wonder Woman. So they created Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew to introduce new and original animal superheroes into the DC universe. Well, kinda. All the animals get their powers from a dimension-jumping Superman who first comes to Earth-C trying to stop a meteor, which shatters, giving a few of the cartoon animals who populate Earth-C superpowers much like Superman. The Amazing Zoo crew stars Roger Rabbit, no, not that one, <laughs> a cartoon bunny who happens to be a comic book artist working on a series called, you guessed it, Just Lotta Animals. So Roger gangs up with his superhero friends and becomes Captain Carrot, and he's also joined by the zoo crew, Alley Cat Abra, Pig Iron, Rubber Duck, Yankee Poodle, a turtle named Fastback, a mouse called Little Cheese, and the best dressed of them all, the American Eagle. So the zoo crew stayed together for a short time, although they do continue to have kind of a cult following. They made a few cameos here and there in the DC Universe, so... That's Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, The Worst of Comics, February 1982. All right, Mike Ranger, let's hear your ruling on the Hot Products round. You know, Mark, uh, this one's kind of tough because, you know, with uh, with your pick and Drew's pick, these are just, uh, you know, well-intentioned products that just didn't end up really doing that well or weren't looked upon favorably. Brent, with your pick, that sold out and... That's more of a strike against humanity. <laughs> so I don't know where my disappointment really should, where it should go here. Because I'm really disappointed with, you know, just, I, I guess, America right now for doing that one. Like, people rushed out to get that. And then, you know, they were yeah. probably beating each other up like it was a fucking cabbage patch. I got to put that in the cedar chest. That's going to be worth something someday. <laughs> you know, somebody was just like, took it to their barber. Make me look like this. You know, there was people in lines at his concerts with copies of that waiting to get an autograph on the oh, TV yeah. guide. Yeah. There's a guy in my hometown of Springfield, Illinois, and they call him Chili Bowl Mullet Man. He has a giant Chili Bowl mullet. And, you know, like, I guess Billy Ray's is slightly cooler than the Chili Bowl mullet. But anyway, he's so prolific. And, you know, he does this. They did a documentary on him called Chili Bowl Mullet Man, like a full <laughs> documentary where they followed him around for like a year of his life. Uh, yeah. So long live the mullets, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really don't know what to do here because, you know, I kind of actually like the the Pacers, a cool looking car. I don't know if I want to own it or drive it. But it's a Mertmobile. Yeah. It's a, that's fun. I mean, you know, just uh, don't spew inside of it. Uh, but man, Mark, yours sounds pretty terrible. It really does. <laughs> Captain, Captain Carrot and, and this amazing zoo crew. Yeah. It only lasted like 20 issues and they didn't even want to create those characters to begin with. They just wanted the, you know, animal versions of all the already popular characters. Man, this is tough because at the same time, the pacer was like shitty enough, but also remembered enough that they wanted to put it in Wayne's world as part of a joke. So that's kind of like cool too. So you know what? Yeah. I'm actually I'm gonna give this to to Drew. That's like right, shitty please. and fun at the same time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Drew, you pick up a point heading into our final one point round, and you have control of the board. What category are we going with next? Yeah, I think we're gonna do TV because this one's pretty meh. All right, so uh, I have from the Genius Minds. 
of Aaron Spelling and Leonard Goldberg comes. Uh, oh, look, a show about police. The show's called SWAT, which began airing on February 24th, 1975. And it made it all the way before being canceled in April of 1976. So it had about a good year run. And the show focused on a Californian SWAT team as they solve crimes, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it had Steve Forrest and Robert Urich in there. Or Urich, I guess is his name. Uh, but, I mean, come on, it's just a show about police. Like, that, I mean, that'll never work or make a comeback. But mm-hmm. it, it did. And in 2003, they made a film, SWAT, which was kind of based off that TV series. And turns out they did bring back a new SWAT show, which started in November of 2017 because we don't have enough cop shows. Stop fucking making cop shows, people, please. And shows about <laughs> and hospitals. Like, we don't need that. Please, just stop. Anyway, uh, I do love Spencer for Hire. I do love me some Robert Hospital Eric. cops. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hospital security guards. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, Spencer for Hire, cool show. I love Robert Urich. SWAT, I mean, uh, it's terrible. So, Speaking of Spencer for Hire, another thing they just remade. That yeah. was mediocre yeah. at best. The one with Mark yeah, Wahlberg. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was... It was long, too. That was like two hours. I'm like, come on, man. Cut that shit down. And it wasn't even that funny. It wasn't that good. It was just long. (laughs) But anyway, I have SWAT, which began airing on February 24th, 1975. Just another damn cop show. All right, Brent Hand. What did you bring for the television round? Okay, so... For TV, I had an intrusion uh, into the the news and interrupted everyone's television they were watching in not a good way. February 28th, the last day of the month, uh, something that people had been watching and keeping a whole, you know, tabs on throughout the month finally erupts into a gun battle. Uh, uh, it turned after a 51, ends up in a 51 day sta- uh, standoff ended with this gun battle uh, it was the destruction of a five-story building. Seventy-five people died, many of them children and women. Uh, this was outside of the town of Waco, Texas, and the Branch Davidian, Davidian the Branch Davidian compound. That was when the February twentieth was when the FBI attempted the raid, and it did not. I, we probably remember how how terrible. I remember the pictures of the tank yes. that they had, or, or tanks, or whatever tracked vehicles they had. With the battering rams ramming yep. into the sides of the building, and there's smoke pouring out, and they're they're shooting in and out of it. And it's an interesting thing as as years have gone by, people have talked about what was true and what wasn't true about it, and and they didn't want another Ruby Ridge. Janet Reno and went to the president. It's like we need to get in there. We don't want to stand off. You know, we need to do something about it. And he he said, well, if that's the intel we have, let's go do something. And it was nonstop from the from starting then until it ended was pretty much twenty four seven news coverage everywhere of of that going on. So yeah, the the Waco the the ending of it the the, the siege and the the huge clusterfuck that was Waco. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw the what was it Netflix that put out the documentary on that not too long ago. Yeah, they talked to some of the children that are now adults. It was moving. It was crazy. Yeah, it was fantastic. All right, guys, so for television, I have an episode of a TV show that I don't think comes up enough on this show. 
uh, as it was constantly on the TV in my household growing up. And matter of fact, uh, my very first teddy bear as a child is named after one of the characters from the show who also famously had a teddy bear. You know, but sometimes this show had a knack of putting the laughs aside and pointing out the things in the world that are, well, just frankly the worst. So my television selection is an episode of MASH titled The Tooth Shall Set You Free, co-starring the one and only Mr. Lawrence Fishburne. Airing February 8th, 1982, the title of the episode actually plays on the side story of the episode, where Winchester has a bad tooth that badly needs to be extracted. The main story focuses on a racist unit commander who is purposefully sending black soldiers on dangerous missions, hoping to get them killed. Yikes. If they happen to survive and are often badly wounded, he tries to ship them back home, doing all of this just so he doesn't have to spend time with them and command them in his company or even be around them. The sad part is, this was actually based on reality. Harry S. Truman signed Executive Order 9981 in 1948, and that was integrating the armed forces. Most commanders ignored the order and actually considered black soldiers inferior. As a result, they suffered disproportionate amounts of casualties due to being assigned to more dangerous duties than their white counterparts. So... This was actually the last war in which the military continued to be segregated. And in the Korean conflict, unfortunately, black lives did not matter. And for me, and the cast of the creators of MASH, that's absolutely the worst. So that's what I had to pick for the worst, is uh, just this episode of MASH that just points out some really shitty things that happened. So that's what I got, MASH, February 1982. That is shitty. All right, Mike Ranger. Over to you. What is your ruling for the television round? Well, um, you guys hit me with some pretty terrible stuff. I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, the the worst of it being that this this another cop show, which we didn't need. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. But at the same time, uh, you know, the I like I I kind of remember the the Waco thing. You know, I like I I obviously wasn't like glued to the TV watching that at that point, but I'm sure um, like I I do remember that being a thing. And then, you know, Mark just cheats with reality, you know, and uh, so uh, we would have to give this one to Mark. Good job, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I did not expect to win with that one. MASH is just a show that was just always on the TV in my household. Every single night we ate dinner, usually watching MASH or Cheers. And yeah, this was just, even at a young age, you're like, oh man, this that's a bad guy. And of <laughs> course, the commander at the end, they catch him in the act. They figure out his whole game plan. And uh, he gets offered the ultimatum of either resigning from the army or, well, just being court-martialed and kicked out. So either resign on your own or get kicked out. It does not end well for him. But uh, this round ended well for me, so I'll take the win (laughs) and the point. Tying up this game at one point apiece, heading into our first two-point round. I think we're going to go over to the news round. So, for my article, we'll go over to the El Paso Times, February 23rd, 1982. For an article where the headline reads, Unwelcome Matt for Controversial Rocker. Pay attention, Ozzy Osbourne. 
District Attorney Aussie Brown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, says you better keep your hard rock band in your nasty habits out of East Baton Rouge Parish. The district attorney said he found out you were arrested for being drunk in public, and police said you didn't bother to use the men's restroom when you went to visit the Alamo the other night. The Alamo, where Texans fought for their independence from Mexico in 1836. Remember that? The El Paso Sheriff's Department has heard of you too. That's why 60 deputies instead of the usual 40 have been assigned to your concert Tuesday night at the El Paso County Coliseum. We won't take any BS from him or anyone else, Chief Deputy Jesus Reyes warned. You said your main goal in life is to use the White House as a public restroom, and you said if you had a kid, you wouldn't let him see your show. Brown, who pronounces his name Ose, not Ozzy, says he wants to make that official. He doesn't like it when you bite the head off a live bat at one of your concerts, and he doesn't trust those rabies shots you took. Everywhere this guy goes, it's the same thing, he says. Something happens. One place he bites the head off a bat, the next town he might expose our young people to rabies. So, it's the wet, dark stain on the wall of rock history. I give you Ozzy pissing on the Alamo. February 19th, 1982. All right, so I have February 26th, 1993, at 11.17 a.m., that's Central Standard Time, a truck bomb explodes in a parking garage of New York City's World Trade Center. Uh, it ends up killing six people and injuring over a 1,000 in uh, what at that time was the deadliest act of terrorism perpetrated on U.S. soil. Uh, and we all know that, unfortunately, it didn't stay that way and at the same place. But a truck bomb uh, detonated below the North Tower, uh, this was a 1,336-pound nitrate hydrogen gas-enhanced device, they called it. And it was supposed to send the North Tower, or Tower 1, into the South Tower, Tower 2, and bring both down, killing tens of thousands of people. Thankfully, it, it failed, so it didn't do that. But like I said, it did uh, kill six people, including one pregnant woman, and injured over 1,000. And about 50,000 people were evacuated from the building that day. Uh, so yeah, the, the first attack... On the World Trade Center, February 26, 1993. Man, 1993 was crazy, man. You have the Waco, Texas. You have the first bombing of the Trade Center. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unreal. All right, Drew Zachman, what did you bring for the news round? Boy, this will uh, <clears throat> cheer some people up. But on February 4th, 1975, an earthquake hit Haiching, China at around 736 at night local time. The earthquake registered a 7.5 on the Richter scale, which was bad news because about a million people lived in Haicheng. However, there's actually some good news to this story. Now, the earthquake, while devastating, was one of the few earthquakes to be successfully uh, predicted in history, actually. Earlier that morning, officials ordered that people evacuate the city, believing that there would be a large chance of an earthquake. Uh, the prediction was allegedly based on reports of changes in groundwater and soil elevations over the past several months, as well as widespread accounts of unusual animal behavior. The citizens were finally placed on high alert and the evacuation order was issued due to an increase in four shocks. Now, while the evacuation did help immensely, it didn't prevent all deaths. About 1,300 people died, 1,328 people to be exact, and around 27,000 were injured as thousands of buildings collapsed. The good news, though, is that the initial death toll prediction was 150,000 had they not evacuated. 
So they, uh, you know, they definitely, you know, it's unfortunate that people died, but still, uh, it could have been way worse. But the unusual animal behavior thing was real interesting to me, right? You always hear stories about like animals kind of having this, you know, weird sense where they can kind of, you know, notice things that maybe we might not. Uh, in, in December of the previous year, rats and snakes appeared to be frozen on the roads. Uh, in February of 75, reports of that type increased greatly and cows and horses looked restless and agitated. Rats appeared drunk. Chickens refused to enter their coops. Geese frequently took flight. Dogs and cats living together in mass hysteria. Uh, yeah, it was it was a bad earthquake, but luckily, thanks to the evacuation, they were able to greatly minimize the loss of lives. So, uh, February 1975, earthquake in Haicheng, China. Wow. Real quick, before you do this, I had, yeah. I had done two from all you said. Oh, man, 93 was a crazy year. The one I, I got rid of I didn't do was the trial for the Rodney King uh beating and but that tipped off to the riots later that year oh yeah 93 was a crazy <laughs> yeah it was yeah it was Oof. wow that's, wait i thought that's the riots crazy. were 90 was that 92 or was it was the beating took the beating took place in 92? uh the, it, the stuff took place in 991 oh okay um uh, they pled not guilty originally, and then they came back in, and and it it took like a it was over like a two year span, mm-hmm. and that whole two years was shit in L A. As far as shit, I didn't mean to derail a show. I apologize, but it was just I was thinking about that. Man, wow, that's nuts. February of ninety three sucked. <laughs> <laughs> there was just so many bad things that just happened in that time frame. It was almost like the nineties version of twenty twenty. Yeah. The the whole yeah. like early nineties was crazy. It was like this weird era of tabloid news and, and just insanity. Chicks cutting off people's penises yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Nancy Kerrigan. Why? Why? Joey Buttafuco is a household name. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. Like, what the fuck were we so upset and moody and and brooding about in the early nineties? Like, I just remember, like, our whole generation being very dark and broody, you know, and a lot of that was brought on by the music. But honestly, I can't remember what the fuck we were so upset about. (laughs) Fair point. Well, I think Brent just gave us a couple uh, examples of what we probably were upset about. (laughs) Probably. The Long Island Lolitas aren't returning our phone calls. Yeah, (laughs) I I wasn't. Yeah, but at at 17 years old, I wasn't losing sleep over the Long Island Lolita story. You know what I mean? (laughs) All right, Mike Ranger, let's hear your verdict on the news round. All right. Well, before I uh, make any final decisions here, I do have a question. uh, You know, start with you, Mark. Uh, Now, Ozzy uh, pissing in the Alamo. uh, Was he in the basement? (laughs) (laughs) There is no basement to the Alamo. That's what see. That's why he got in trouble. (laughs) <laughs> now uh the earthquake uh that's a little scary uh may i ask uh how many weeks following the earthquake did godzilla show up uh it was actually eight days okay better late than never uh but uh you know honestly um i'm gonna i'm gonna actually i am gonna give this one to brent because i actually have my uh my father i uh, actually worked in the building he was there that day um really? yeah wow so wow. um Wow. Yeah, and I remember that, and I remember him having a lot of trouble getting, um, you know, getting home, and uh, we couldn't, you know, there's no cell phones really, so he wasn't able to, like, we didn't hear from him all day, 
Um, and he was finally able to like, uh, you know, get on a train, get to his mother's house and then called us from there. Man. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. That one. It's a little too close to home. Yeah. yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah. It's a little weird. Man. He was there for, for that one and, and the, uh, nine eleven one. God. Yeah. Man, yeah. Man, way to bring down the worst of episode, Brent. Yeah. Why'd you have to pick that, man? Come on. And disqualified. <laughs> this episode's the worst. This episode is brought to you by Prozac. <laughs> I mean, if this episode had a sponsor, it would definitely be like all sport. That's what people want. Carbonated Gatorade. <laughs> all right brent hand you picked up the two points in that round you jump out to a big lead and you take control of the board heading into our final round awesome so yeah movies february of 93 this one kind of encompasses an entire month it is a horrible horrible experience filming a movie uh and it actually started filming official filming started february 1st of 19. 19- 93 now during the time of this terrible stuff just kept happening and they kept filming Uh, a carpenter was seriously injured on set when a crane he was working on hit live power lines that night an equipment truck caught on fire then later in the month a sculptor who had worked on the set for a few days drove through a plaster shop after he was let go then a construction worker accidentally drove a screwdriver through his hand Then, as they're getting through all this, a storm destroys half of the sets, and they have to try to rebuild them. Now, this all comes down to a head uh, later in filming, but this all happened in February of 1993 with a movie that you might have heard of called The Crow. And we all know how that ended with Brandon Lee being killed by a a dummy bullet that that fired, and, you know, it turned out later that... uh, the lead tip of the dummy bullet came lodged in the barrel of the gun and it pushed out a blank and it's it, it, it what's what killed him and they ended up suing uh everyone involved and it was just a horrible thing he he was hit in the lower abdomen he ended up uh, dying uh later of of blood loss it, it breached an artery inside of him but yeah so the entire that's what you think of but a lot of people were hurt or injured uh during the filming of this whole movie it was like it was one of those things that the higher powers that be were saying maybe you didn't you shouldn't be making this movie uh just finally when half of the sets were smited they just kept going anyway so yeah (laughs) the crow wow all right drew zackman what did you bring for the movies round all right so i have uh I have Richard Gere's debut film here, and the movie I'm talking about, it's uh, it was released on February 5th, 1975, and this movie, everybody knows this movie, Report to the Commissioner. Oh, yeah. No. Never heard of it. Um, but It was a crime drama. I guess that was Richard Gere's film debut, so if you guys like sticking gerbils up your ass, then maybe you'll like this movie. I don't know, but um, I've never seen it, but the plot, I think, is actually pretty terrible. Uh, basically it's an undercover detective is assigned to a missing woman case, but the missing woman is actually another undercover cop who's trying to get close to a heroin dealer. The female cop winds up getting killed by the other cop. Then the male cop somehow gets stuck in an elevator with the drug dealer that she was trying to infiltrate. They, they somehow become friends and they're like, well, I will let you go. But then as they get out of the elevator, leave the building, there's a whole bunch of cops there. They unload on the drug dealer. He dies. 
And so at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, by the way, I'm just giving you guys the whole movie here. So the undercover detective and his superiors decide to save face. They come up with a story that the male and female undercover detectives were involved in a lover's triangle and that he shot her out of jealousy, which makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> like, I feel like that's actually worse than what actually happened. So I don't know. That's terrible. I will never watch this movie ever. The only saving grace I can think of here is that Dana Elkar was in this, who, uh, if any of you recall, some of the best 80s TV shows, uh, Dana Elkar was actually MacGyver's boss. So that's what I have. Report to the Commissioner was released on February 5th, 1975. All right, guys. So I guess that's over to me. My movie selection for the worst of is uh, from director Michael Winner. And it was actually nominated for the Stinker's Bad Movie Award in 1982. The film was also nominated for a Razzie Award from its score from a man well, who could do no wrong up until now. Mr. Jimmy Page. And this is a film that our judge, Mr. Mike Ranger, is very familiar with because it sits atop his list of Mike Ranger's most rapey rape films. I present to you, for your viewing displeasure, a film that has the most violent and deranged gang rape scene since A Clockwork Orange, Death Wish 2, released February 19th, 1982. So we'll go over to newspapers.com for an article I found where the headline reads, Death Wish 2, a sickening crowd pleaser. When the original Death Wish appeared eight years ago, moviegoers embraced the idea of a man gunning down the muggers who had killed his wife and raped his daughter. In Death Wish 2, and I don't know which is more sickening, the movie itself or the knowledge that people are flocking to see this movie and approving of it in throngs. When I saw Death Wish 2, the audience so thoroughly worshipped their hero that the waves of resounding applause swept through the theater after each violent murder. When the film ended, cheers and whistles of adoration nearly drowned out the music. Wow. Death Wish 2 is a violent movie, as violent as I've ever seen. And what's more indecent? Winner begins showing, in graphic detail, two gang rapes, one of Bronson's Hispanic maid and the other of his daughter. Winner keeps his camera on these women, humiliated for a an unnatural long amount of time. The article goes on to say the two women of this movie are raped not once, but twice, three times. All because Winner wants us to feel really, really good about the violence that follows. Death Wish 2 is not only bad filmmaking, but is immoral. The first Death Wish captured a social mood. That violence is destroying urban life. But this sequel takes us to an even more violent and simplistic theory. Yet, Death Wish 2 doesn't even ever attempt to explain or understand the motivations behind urban crime. So I give you Death Wish 2, February 19th, 1982. All right, Mike Ranger, what is your verdict for the movie's round? Well, again, we all uh, we have very interesting picks here. Now, um, Mark, uh, in regards to Death Wish uh, Two, what I find so interesting about about the Death Wish series is that you know, in the first one, you know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, not that I necessarily I don't agree with it, but the, but the rapey scenes make sense. You know, it, it's a necessity to progress this story so that we sympathize with you know with the vigilante. Now, in the second film. You know, they choose to use the same technique. We already sympathize with this person. I would say even more so because you choose 
to rape the same character twice in a yeah. series. And that was a whole point of like how much it traumatized her in the first movie. And then here you go again. Like, like holy shit. What you, like, I mean, what kind of psychological mind fuck is this? I mean, it's like, let's, you know, like, man, if we, if they didn't fucking agree with the vigilante in the last movie, they're going to totally be on his side this time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I, I appreciate the, uh, the, the the filmmaking technique with that with that one there now the uh moving on to drew the uh the, i i've actually i've never seen this movie it doesn't sound very interesting um you know you keep coming up with the cop stuff which is you I know do. just just boring i don't know I don't, 70 the 70s and their cop stuff not great no no not very never very fun and then brent you know just keeps hitting us with fucking just positive vibes <laughs> <laughs> I, I read worse and I said say no more <laughs> I know like you really you had an awful awful month I, I really feel for it now this isn't uh, now you, this is the filming right not the, the release so he died in March yeah the filming he ended up dying uh, they they filmed all throughout February and he died in the beginning of March but this is when they started on the first and, and all the other stuff happened uh, during the month of February See that makes it a little more difficult. Had he died in February, I would totally be giving this to you right now. Even though, yes, like that's a that's an awful month, but yeah, they just kept plugging away. Now, but thing with Death Wish too is like that's actually I like that movie. That's there's nothing you know, like, uh, that's a fun one. But then Drew's got this just awful thing here that just man, I don't know what. To, but it's also something awful that nobody nobody's gonna know what the fuck this is. Maybe it's because it's just that awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it seems to be the most insignificant thing here. I'm going to give this to uh, Drew in 1975. <laughs> it's that bad. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> All right, Duelers. Well, you know what that means. That ties up this game between Drew and Brent. So we're going to have to take it to a final wild card round. Brent, why don't you go first on this one? All right, uh, I'll keep it in movies. Uh, so we're in February of 1993. British actor and stuntman Tip Tipping, known for playing Private Crow in Aliens, ends up dying in a parachuting accident while filming for a British show called 999. Uh, and he was a very much up-and-coming stuntman, and he had finally gotten his, his big break acting in Aliens, and he died while filming keeping with the chuckle fest that I've brought you all night long. <laughs> Bring in the sadness. If you look at this guy up, you'll go, I know him. And it's so sad because he was young. He was only like 34 years old and um, just gone. And he had been a special forces paratrooper and stuff like that in the uh, SAS. And then they just had this freak accident and he died while filming for this uh, docudrama movie coming out oh. nine 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 over in Britain. Oh, that's fucking horrible. The horrible irony about that is nine 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 is the emergency telephone number. Yeah, over yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> layers of irony there. Oh man. And he landed on nine pregnant women. They all exploded, killing a bus full of children. Oh. So you know how that goes. <laughs> man, why didn't well, Alanis use that as her motivation? Fuck 10,000 spoons. <laughs> All you need is a tip tipping. <laughs> Just the tip tip. Just the tip. <laughs> Just to see how it feels. You're right. You know? yeah. All right, Drew Zachman. 
What is your offering for the wild card round? All right. So I this is a news thing. Uh, so on February 28th, 1975, at 8.46 a.m., I'm getting very specific here, the Moorgate tube crash, uh, which happened in London Underground's northern city line. 43 people died, 74 people were injured after a train failed to stop at the line's southern terminus, Moorgate Station, and crashed into its end wall. And it's actually considered the worst peacetime accident on the London Underground's. Did their research or anything, they said no fault was found with the train, and the inquiry by the Department of the Environment concluded that the accident was caused by the actions of Leslie Newson, the 56-year-old driver. So, yeah. Pretty uh, not awesome at like 8.46 in the morning. So you're getting, you know, a, a packed train of people going to work, so... Wow, and the chuckle fest here on Dueling Decades continues <laughs> with this uh, special worst of episode. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was a mess. I mean, it took it said it took them 13 hours to remove the injured from the wreckage, many of whom had to be cut free. Uh, so it was uh, in, with no services running into the adjoining platform to create the piston effect, pushing air into the station. Ventilation was poor, and and temperatures in the tunnel rose over. Uh, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, 49 degrees Celsius for our international listeners. Um, but yeah, it took a further four days to extract the last body, that of Newson. So mm. bodies in 120 degree heat for four days. Yeah, that mm. sounds appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got. Yep. All right, Mike Ranger, time to come out of your judges' quarter. And uh, bang your gavel yet one more time with your final verdict. I'm a bit perplexed here, because and, and and I'll tell you why. Because like on one hand, like Drew definitely has the one that's like you know affects more people, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, Brent it, it has been so consistent with just giving us complete shit. Just talk about the bad luck. I'm gonna update my fucking resume with that line. Hey, when you think of Brent, you think of shit. Constant complete shit. It has just been one horrible event after another. It's actually it's commendable, really. I mean. They... <laughs> It's almost like you've accumulated some kind of like extra points along the way. It's just like, <laughs> but I have to judge uh, um, on, on the merit of the individual round. And uh, certainly I would say a, uh, a train cl- crash uh, affecting um, numerous people, although I'm sure like, you know, the stuntman dying affected more, you know, somebody actually, somebody actually got a job out of it. So that was a positive. So I'm going to give that to Drew. 1975 is going to take it. We're going to turn that frown upside down, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. Congratulations, Drew Zachman. You pull out a victory here this week. I'll take it, man. I get the belt. (laughs) (laughs) Not not popular among the Hill Street Blues fans out there, but yeah, you you won this one. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I I, I I sent Mark a message. I was like, dude, my picks... Like, they're not that great. And I meant, like, not great as in, obviously, it was a worse of. I was like, they're not, like, great as in, they're like, they're bad enough to win. I'm like, they're just, they're very mediocre. So. Well, but. that's the thing with the worst of episodes is everything it's very is. very subjective, too. Right. Yeah. It's subjective and everything's flipped upside down. So it's like, you're looking for the worst of the worst. So, wow. 
Great job tonight, guys. Uh, Drew Zachman, congratulations for winning this episode. Why don't you tell everybody what you guys have coming up on uh, Songs Gone Wrong? Yeah, we have, um, uh, well, dropping, actually, well, by the time this episode airs, it'll already be out, but we t- we covered off on the uh, the theme song from Titanic, My Heart Will Go On. Uh, I fucking hate that song. So <laughs> we talk about that. And then next week we'll have uh, Limp Bizkit's Faith. And then we also will have Color Me Bad's I Want to Sex You Up, which is horrible. Spoiler alert. So that's what we have coming up for uh, Songs Gone Wrong. Nice. No uh, Jay Giles centerfold yet? No, not not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you guys are going to have na 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 That's just going to get stuck in your head for hours on end. I would rather have that than the from fucking color me bad stuck in my head i had <laughs> i want to sex you up stuck in my head for no lie like two straight days i'm like you don't stop. yeah exactly <laughs> i do not want color me bad stuck in my brain at any point in time all right brent hand hey what do you guys have coming up on hysteria 51 uh, we just got done recording an episode on the disappearance of walter collins which was a crazy one i don't know if you guys are familiar with that just horrible disappearance of a boy in the 1920s in L.A., and it, it involves uh, another child posing and the police making <laughs> the mother take him home and try him out to see if he works kind of situation, even though he's not. Oh, yeah. And then uncovering a serial killer. His mom is helping sexually abuse. Yeah, it's a crazy story. And uh, so we got that coming up and always a bunch of alien crap. It's it's a stare at 51. So we're always talking about that fun stuff. And uh, you can find wow. us uh, just Google Hysteria 51 and find us anywhere fine podcasts are sold or given away for free Jeez, between that and all your picks from this it's show fucking do you ever fast. talk about anything that puts a smile on somebody's face and every episode is just it, it's just probing <laughs> just probing 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 <laughs> and then they do the episode after the probing <laughs> <laughs> that's the teaser on twitch and now i have my only fans also so i'll give you that after the show <laughs> And, uh, of course, we cannot forget the great Mike Ranger. Thanks a lot for judging this episode, man. I mean, Man Crush is on vacation this week. He'll be back soon. Don't worry. But uh, Mike Ranger came in and did a bang-up job, as always. Oh, well, thank you. I, uh, you know, I prepared for it. I, uh, you know, I showed up. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys have coming up on the Video Rangers podcast? Well, actually, right now we're taking a bit of a break because Chris Ranger just uh, had his uh, his little baby boy. Uh, but if you like, you can uh, listen to over a hundred episodes of just uh, absolute, uh, you know, perfection. Uh, and uh, I believe actually the uh, if you listen to the last episode, it has a um, has a, a little uh, Christmas jingle that um, uh, Mark helped me uh, do do a little music video for, which is amazing. Yeah, you did a bang-up job on that. If you guys haven't heard that, go over, subscribe to the Video Rangers podcast, subscribe to Hysteria 51 and Songs Gone Wrong, of course. But yeah, that little jingle that Mike Ranger put together, the little Christmas commercial parody, it's just, it's it's a masterpiece. It's going to be on my holiday playlist forever now, I think. <laughs> it's right up there with Weird Al's Christmas at Ground Zero. Heck yes, right? And uh, Merry Fucking Christmas by Eazy-E. It's right up there, Mike. Oh, man. 
Well, once again, thanks to all of our cast and competitors this week. Man Crush will be back again soon. Don't worry about that. But if you've missed an episode of the show, in the meantime, you can head over to DuelingDecades.com. You can subscribe to the show there on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Now, while you're on those interwebs, also go over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, where you can join our private group. And over there, you can share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.